0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another fantastic episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old-school wisdom and new breed tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and in this episode, I want to give some parting words to the class of 2020. So, I looked at the day today and I realized that it's coming towards the end of what would be an ordinary college semester and year for most people. Now, I know for the majority of people listening to this, things are different this year. With the pandemic and all, and social distancing, it altered the regular rhythm of life and it really put a damper on the college experience, on your college experience. I know it sucks. And I know you want to live out your final days with your college friends and have the usual senior activities, but maybe after things settle down a bit, you can do something with your friends or plan a road trip with them or do something really to uh, really send you off into quote unquote adult life. But I want to go ahead and record this because I often find myself getting a lot of questions from guys who are in college or just graduated college, recent grads. And they're all along the same lines of what do I do after college or what is my path after college or what should I do now that I just graduated college. And I just want to let you know that um, I definitely am getting your emails and Unstoppable Rise is not the only thing I've got going on. I do work on other things and other projects. So if you sent me an email, please be patient and I will respond to you in time uh, it may not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not even be next week, but I definitely will get back to you. Uh, and if I didn't, then I definitely overlooked it. And if I did so, I apologize. So, first, I want to make it clear that I'm not some elder statement or some enlightened sage with all the answers. I've only graduated, only been graduated seven years now. So I definitely don't have all the answers. And myself, I'm just in my uh, beginning of my adult life, I hope. So um I'm definitely not the ultimate authority on this. And I will say that a lot has happened in that span of seven years. And a lot has happened definitely within the past four years. So in that time, I've come to have a good recollection of myself in relation to those years after college and in college and um, everything that's happened in between that time. So the gap of 10 years when I became 18 to now. So to anyone who just graduated college and finds himself about to graduate college or even have been graduated for a little while, then you'll definitely find that this relates to you and these are things worth considering. And Uh, This is not just for younger people. Definitely people who are younger tend to have gone in college and graduate college. But I know that some people have started late. So if you just graduated undergrad and if you're going from undergrad into grad school, or if you're going from grad school and finally going into your career, then I think these are things worth considering about uh, the quote unquote real world. So... Let's get started with number one. I would say the first thing is make skill acquisition a way of life. Now, some of you may already know this, but I think it's worth reemphasizing here for the past 22, 23 24 25 however many years of your life, you've had a large part of it directed by someone else people have told you what to do, where to go, what to eat, and you've had most things in life offloaded onto other people. You didn't really have to think too hard about what to eat. Your parents would either pack your lunch or give you lunch, money for lunch at school, and you'd make your own choices there. You didn't really have to think too hard about shelter, as your parents paid rent and mortgages, and you wouldn't have to worry about that uh, for most people. And in college, you were told what to study. You were told that if you get an A or on whatever you're doing then your success, and you can gauge your success by the letter grade you get. Just study hard, be able to regurgitate the material, and you'll pass. You'll become magna cum laude or summa cum laude. So the standards of behavior for college were simple. Try to get good grades, make some good friends, get invited to parties, have fun. Don't get seriously injured in the process. Very simple, very easily accessible material for a developing brain to grasp without trying to think so hard, without trying to make your head hurt, right? Um, So what does skill-based learning have to do with this? Well, as you get into the adult world, life becomes less simple, more, some would even say, dare say, complex. And there's no easily accessible modes of being. You're now forced with the prospect of getting a job, paying taxes, paying bills, paying rent, you're now responsible for a large degree for your own self-management. You have to develop your own skills, your own methods of grappling with life. Your parents and friends can help you, but you're ultimately responsible. So learning the basics of personal finance, learning how to develop marketable skills in your off time, keeping fit with hobbies such as yoga or running or lifting weights, learning how to develop adult relationships, learning how to live life. All of these things are skills that you'll have to learn somehow and you'll have to learn to become better at them. Your parents and your education can give you a foundation, but ultimately you'll need to fill in the blanks and you fill in the blanks with your effort to learn these things by dedicating your life to getting better at certain skills. So using skill acquisition as a base and making that as a way of life. So that's number one, making skill acquisition a way of life. Number two, I would say focus on creating a solid structure for future results. Part of the thing that lots of people in their 20s don't understand is how important it is to set yourself up for life down the line. It's so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I'm young. And I think tomorrow will never come, and if tomorrow does come, then I'll just push it off into another tomorrow. But it's this type of thinking and lack of premeditation that gets you stuck in nonproductive patterns. Your habits are what you routinely do every day, and what you do every day comes to define you. It becomes your identity. Another important thing to realize is that your life can be propped up by external forces that, if taken away, makes everything fall down. Now, what do I I mean by this? I would say that you can live a riotous life in your college or even your 20s that is ultimately unsustainable throughout time. For example, in college, you had the affluence of being able to do wasted Wednesdays, thirsty Thursdays, and the usual weekend revelry without any real thought to whether this would affect your performance it was pretty much permissible to be hungover in class or even miss class entirely i knew people in college that would do the whole shebang go out every single night and it wasn't really a problem because you know all they had to do was just go to class very very low skilled activity just showing up to class is it's not hard right but you can't do that in real life if you go out every night, you're going to miss work constantly and you'll find yourself on a one-way trip to the land of the unemployed. That's a pretty obvious example, but then there's ones that are not so obvious. I've known people who can't resolve conflicts or conflict-avoidant because their parents always handled conflicts for them. I've known people who don't have any rhyme or reason to these days, to their days. Um don't know how to do time management. They don't know how to schedule their week, their day... And they sort of haphazardly throw darts at the wall, blindfolded. Now, I'm not saying don't get help. We all need help from time to time. I had help, uh, especially early on in my life. Um, I'm just saying don't let your entire life structure be dependent on things that are easily removable. Like your parents aren't always going to be there. So you're going to have to learn to depend on yourself largely. That's probably one of the hardest parts about being an adult is knowing that things you depended on, will slightly erode over time and you're going to have to have more solid ways of keeping yourself afloat when those things aren't there. Um, so developing skills like self-discipline, learning positive self-talk, and learning how to communicate with other individuals, especially uh, your significant other, being able to make money, knowing how to prime your day, things that make you an effective individual who can help yourself and others, That's what I mean by good routines and practices. These are the things that will be the foundation that you build upon. So that's number two, focusing on creating a solid structure for future results. I think that should be something you look at every day, whether all of your daily activities, if your certain daily activity is helping you create that structure or if it's loosening that structure over time. And I think that's something that you need to really... Uh, be consciously focused on and be introspective about. So number three, I would say, look at people and use them as an example. We all do this at an instinctive level, and this is already natural to us. This is built in. As an example, when I was really young, before I really knew the inner workings and outer workings of adult life, I could just tell which adults had their act together and which ones didn't. There were people that my parents knew that they would introduce me to and right away I knew I did not want to be that sort of guy later on when I was a bit older I would meet people like this and I would ask myself what the hell happened to this guy and I don't think I'm really unique Uh, I think every child knows this at a basic level but they don't know how to really verbalize it those people that I met um, even though I didn't really know how to really put my finger on it and I didn't know the structures of adult life, I just knew that these people were just reeked of defeat. So I already knew what I didn't want to be like. So that was an example of what I didn't want to be like. Um, so who do you want to be like? Well, if you were lucky, you were surrounded by a bunch of great individuals. People were maxing out in life. People were going somewhere, but many of us were not that lucky. Um, so what's the next step? You find people who you want to be like and you study them. You study their routines, their ways of life, and how they interact in the world. You may not achieve their level of success, but you can definitely use them as a model to sculpt your own success. Everything is built off of things that came before it, so you don't really have to reinvent the wheel. I'm, I'm certainly not. I'm definitely piecemealing things that I like from different individuals and things I've learned from different individuals in real life, and I'm creating my own composite. And as a wise man said in the book of Ecclesiastes, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. So you don't have to be an original when it comes to this area. So that's number three. Look at people and use them as an example for bad and for good. Number four, I would say mind your attention. Now, I've read quite a bit of material, and I've studied quite a bit of material that comes under the heading of quote-unquote self-development. I'm talking about stuff ranging from philosophical inquiries, metaphysics, psychology, to just pure self-help stuff that you'd see on display at the front of Barnes & Noble, right? (laughs) And at the point I'm at, where I've been doing this stuff for almost a decade now, consciously doing this for almost a decade now you really start to get diminishing returns from this type of stuff because it all starts to blend together after a while and all of these resources are all saying the same thing in different ways and they all have different methods but the main thing that most or even all of these things are talking about is attention your ability to direct and mold your attention is probably the most important tool that you have for living the life that you want to live Attention is the behavioral and cognitive process of selectively concentrating on a certain stimulus while adver- while ignoring other stimuli that may be perceivable and come into your attention. That's what the definition of attention is at least from my point of view. And attention matters so much. It matters for your work, it matters for your relationships, for your health, for everything. That's why there's a saying that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's hitting at the underlying reality of attention. So here's a basic example, very basic. There's 24 hours in a day. You can spend those hours how you choose. However, you cannot get more than 24 hours. What you decide to spend them on, what you decide to pay attention to, will determine the course of that day repeat it over a couple times and you get a week repeat many weeks you get a month repeat many months a year many years and you get a lifetime or a section of your life that's defined by a theme especially if you're consciously molding your attention in a certain way then you'll have sections of your life that are dedicated to specific things seasons of your life like every every year or yeah, every year I have different quarters or different months in the year where I focus mainly on a certain objective or goals. Some seasons I'll focus more on my physical uh, conditioning. Other seasons I'll focus more on my mental conditioning, so being mentally sharp. Other times I'll focus more on my social um, output. Other times I'll focus on just learning different things in my craft. And I have that as a main focus for those quarters. So that's where my attention is. And I'm sculpting my seasons in my life based around activities in that majority um, category that I'm focusing on. So that's how I'm purposely using my attention to sculpt my year. And then the overall question of all of this is, what are you attending to? And I think that's probably the most important question you'll ever answer because your attention determines your life. So number four, key key point, mind your attention more so than you have ever in your life because you're the one who's responsible for self-management of your life. Number five, live below your means. This is something that's pretty simple, but it's also pretty simple to overlook So when you start out in life, you start out with very little, or at least most people do. You start out with a piece of junk car, a studio apartment, or maybe living at home. You really don't have much money to spend, so you don't go out a lot. You don't eat out a lot, and you try and scrape by with whatever little you have. Then you get a promotion or switch to a new job. You get more money, and you start to upgrade and spend more. You get a better car get a more upscale apartment, you start eating out a bit more, your lifestyle upgrades. And your lifestyle should upgrade. I don't live the same life that I do when I was an undergrad, and neither should you. But the problem with this is instead of attending to the intangibles, which are harder to really um, get metrics on and get an idea of how you're doing with those, um, you now only pay attention to the external. You pay attention to what Mr. and Mrs. Jones are doing. You pay attention to the rat race. You pay attention to your status relative to other people. And because of this, you elevate your baseline for acceptable so far above what it was several years before. You now need the fancy dinners at a steakhouse. You need the exotic vacations. You need this. You need that. You get so used to luxury and bougie living <laughs> that's kind of hard to go back. And when you do go back, maybe you want to save money for a house, or maybe you want to uh, pay off some debt, and you want to tighten up your financial belt. Um, you feel that it's a sacrifice because you've been living above your means for so long. But when you live below your means, and when you um, when you don't extend yourself to the edge of your wallet you reduce your baseline for an acceptable life you're content with the basics you're not just teeter-tottering at the razor's edge flirting with bankruptcy because you want to uh you want to live large and because of this you have less stuff cluttering up your external life so you can focus on what really matters connections friends um hobbies you know the things you Can't buy with money, the things money can't buy. um, You start to bring that more to focus because you're not focusing on all of this, you know, junk. You're just buying with money. So that's one of the many benefits of living below your means, and you get to uh, use it to eventually, you know, do whatever you want with money instead of just spending money on a Rolls Royce or some type of expensive car, you then plow that into a business or you plow that into saving up for a rental property, a second property that you can rent out so you can get more money. So you're using the money you have to get more money and you live the lifestyle that you don't wanna live. So later on, you can live the lifestyle that many people can't live. So I think that's very important. And that's number five, live below your means. Number six, I'd say take a hard look at your relationships. After college, you'll find that the people you made friends with or the acquaintances you have sort of start to drift. Um, People move to new cities, people get involved with work, hobbies, lovers, everything in between, just life in general. And school was sort of the collective pool that you are all placed in. So naturally, you tend to make friends from that pool. Someone's in your class and someone becomes your roommate and you end up becoming friends. Someone has the same hobbies you do and someone likes the same stuff you do. So you end up becoming friends. Someone uh, came from the same town you did or someone, um, you know, grew up in the same uh, city you did. Or someone went to the same school you did someone went to the same high school you did and you managed to go to college with them and you just end up becoming friends you know end up deepening those friendships and i went to uh, as an aside i went to school with some people i went to high school with so i went to college with some people I went to high school with a few of them i'm really good friends with um but it was just so many of them that uh i just didn't uh i just drifted away from some of them because um after a while it just became pretty clear that our lifestyles were pretty incongruent from each other, but the ones that I'm still in contact with, we went to high school and college together. So, um, there's definitely that double bond there, which I think is great. And if you have the opportunity to cement that and you all are resonant on that, definitely take advantage of that because I think that's something that you can't really, um, you can't really replace. But, um, Coming back to this topic of friendships, um, many of those friendships and relationships that you may have made in college were probably out of just pure convenience. And I don't think that's anything wrong with this, Um, but I do think that you may have just made friends just so you weren't lonely or just because you wanted someone to talk to and they don't necessarily vibe with who you are as a person. And now, after college, you have an opportunity to make friends constructively with people who are interested in things you're interested in, or people who are even different from you. So, you have a larger pool to choose from. And coming out of college, I think it's a good time to take stock of the friends that you have. Ask yourself if you're still talking to them out of obligation or a sense of commitment. Some of you guys are in long term relationships romantic relationships and you met sometime in college and you just got together just because you had mutual friends or you were in the same classes and because, again, it was convenient. And, again, um, I'm not saying just go ahead and break up with your girlfriend or whatever, but um, I do think it's worth examining whether uh, you both might go separate ways or you still might continue together. And for all of these I think you should ask yourself if these peer-based relationships are serving needs that you have and filling you up on a basic level. In relationship to your parents, um, you have to recontextualize the relationships you have with them. You have to make it understood that you're your own man and that you're no longer a kid anymore. Some parents continue to baby their children even all the way until their 30s because they didn't reformat that relationship. Some parents... Uh, try to butt in in the relationship and become a unnecessary third party because, again, they didn't reformat the relationship. So in all these situations, ask yourself if these relationships are helping you to expand or making you contract, and if you can re- nego- renegotiate them, enhance them, or maybe even have to get rid of them. Whatever you have to do to make sure your relationships are all solid and that you're doing them because you want to and because you're not doing it out of pure convenience. So that's the sixth one. Take a hard look at your relationships. Seven, I would say, is resist the urge to please other people. So if someone who's eager and willing to get into the workforce and life in general, you want to do everything well. You want to make sure you do your work well. You want to make sure you have a good social life. You want to make sure you have that expansive force that I think everyone should have when they're young, when they're trying to push themselves out into the world. And in that expansionary period especially when you're trying to expand in a lot of different areas and make your mark in a lot of different areas, you'll find yourself trying to make allowances or even bend over backwards for people. In a work situation, you'll usually be the low man on the totem pole, so you're trying to play office politics or get into a good position for a raise or a promotion. This makes you shrug off slights by other people or even take verbal abuse from your superiors because, again, they have more work status than you do. You want to date women, but you may end up being experienced and you may not even know who you are as a man and as a person. So you don't want to make conflict with these people, with these parties. You don't want to create friction. So you become a shell of who you really are. You want to look good in the eyes of family members and say face. So you might even exaggerate your job position or who you are In life or your status in life or even take a job that looks good on paper but deep down makes you miserable. In all of these things, I think it's easy to blot out the true you and the person you are because you want to make other people have a good opinion about you. Again, you want to save face. But these people don't live your life. They don't wake up with you. They don't go throughout your day. They don't pay your bills. They don't walk in your shoes. Some people don't ask themselves, what do I want? Who do I want to be in relation to everything around me? People only ask this question when they get on later on in life, when they get married, when they have the kids, when they have the house, when they have the job, when they have the senior position in the company, and when they uh, are looked up to as a leader in the community, and when they have all this pressure, and they realize that they were living a false life. They were living a life that was just not true to that 10-year-old, kid, that 10-year-old self, and obviously there's a reason, there's the term the midlife crisis, and there's also a term called quarter-life crisis as well, and I think a quarter-life crisis is when you re-examine all of these things, and you re-examine your relationship, you yourself in relationship to all these things, and you ask yourself again, what do I really want? So always... Keep trying to ask yourself if you're doing things to solely please others or if you're contributing to your own bottom line expectations and happiness. I think sometimes it is good to do things for others. Sometimes you need to do things for others. Sometimes you need to sacrifice, especially when it comes to family. But ask yourself, are you overextending all the time just to, again, save face and just to make others have a good impression about you? and just to be known as the martyr. I think that's something that's worth examining and worth thinking about. So that's number seven. Resist the urge to please other people. Number eight, try to expand your comfort zone each day. One way to be really miserable in life, okay, is to remain complacent. We human beings were designed to move. We were designed to grow. We were designed to expand That's why we've taken over the entire globe. That's why we've gone to the moon. That's why we're trying to go to Mars. That's why we're trying to expand beyond our solar system. Because with that expansion comes doing new things, trying to bust out of the current mold. That means leaving the comfort zone. I've talked about this before, so I won't get too granular, but your comfort zone is any area in which you feel capable and competent of yourself. Usually these are things you've done often many times and you've nailed them down to the point of habit. But the thing is, life's magic happens outside of this zone. The things you want lie outside of this zone. Why? Because you'd already have them if they didn't. It would just be like walking walking, walking uh, out of your bed and going to your living room and just... There, you have it. It's like going to the fridge and getting something. It it, it would be be that easy. But many of the things you want don't because they're not that easy. So I'd say make it a point of duty to do something that expands the radius of your comfort zone every day. Get 1% better every day. Take a small step. This could be pushing your physical limits, mental limits, emotional limits, whatever they may be. Right now, all the gyms are closed because of quarantine and lockdown. So what am I doing? I'm doing bodyweight training, calisthenics, diamond push-ups, handstands, Tyson squats. uh Anything to give me that stimulus and push me out of homeostasis. And it's been great. So what does that look like for you? What is a bit beyond your ability but still within a stretch reach? And there's many more examples of this. The one I gave is just a very tiny example. But summed up, I'd say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Main, main, main part of life. That's number eight. Expanding your comfort zone every day. Now I'd say number nine is don't do anything or take on anything that will really restrict you from taking appropriate risks. Now, the beauty of being this stage and age of your life is that you now have all this room to maneuver without really being tied down by anything. Generally speaking, there's not really much keeping you stuck to things right now. You don't have a mortgage. You're not really senior in your job. You don't have a kid. Well, most of you. If you do, that's different. Uh, Because when you have a kid, You're no longer the priority in your life. The kid is that priority, right? And you just generally don't have a lot of extra stuff in your life. And one of the things that really prevents you from taking risks in life, not just when you're young, is, I'd say, debt. Um, I think that's a big thing that keeps you stuck to where you are, because... If you have debt, if you have a lot of debt, you you can't quit your job because you have to go pay the credit card or you have to go pay your student loans, you have to go pay your car or whatever. Those things keep you in your job if you don't want to be there. So debt with credit cards, student loans, cars, all these extra trimmings prevent you from spending money and attention where it should really be spent. And again, it prevents you from taking more risk in your life. So as an aside, as an antidote, someone I knew was going to do an immersion program and they pretty much told him, yo, you can't join this program if you have any debt of any kind. We don't want you. Why? Because they knew that debt is a burden and prevents you from really doing things with your life. It prevents you from living unencumbered and doing this immersion program, you're not gonna be getting getting paid. So they said, go and take care of those obligations, then come back. So he really wanted to do this. So what did he do? He got a job and he just grinded hard for for four years. He was picking up extra shifts, doing part-time jobs, spending every single penny on getting rid of that debt. This man did not have a life for four years. The week after he got rid of that debt, He quit his job, and he signed up for the immersion experience. Now, he spent two years doing that experience, and he's so happy he did. And now he's back in, um, pretty much working again. And hats off to him, because uh, his sacrifice was really commendable. I mean, awe-inspiring. So, ask yourself... What's really preventing you from launching off and doing what you want to do? Is it debt? Is it your job? Is it your parents? Is it your significant other who you promised you were going to marry? Put all of this in the focus and ask yourself how you can address these and minimize the impact these things have on your life in the short term and the long term. And also ask yourself if this risk, quote unquote risk that you're going to do, is it is is it going to be affected by any of the things I just mentioned? Like if you have a significant other, uh, is your significant other cool enough to let you just, I don't know, travel around the world for like a couple months and he or she won't, won't mind that you're gone. I mean, I know some people who are cool with that and some significant others are not. So ask yourself what? in your particular situation would keep you from doing what you want to do and trying things out. I think that's something to put into focus. So that's number nine. Don't do anything that will restrict you or encumber you from taking appropriate risks. Number 10. I would say... Don't focus too much on succeeding in your 20s. I think this point is something that needs to be stated because it's not being said enough. Hitting massive success in your 20s is an exception to the rule. It's an anomaly, to be honest. When you're 20, 21, 22, even all the way up to 25, hell, I even say for your entire life, really, but especially in these years, You're still setting up your foundation. You're learning skills. You're learning lessons. You're creating the foundation. You're mixing the cement for the foundation. You're still beginning to pour the foundation. You have to let it harden in the sun of life, in the heat of life, for it to really be something. You haven't really done anything yet. Some of you are still getting bankrolled massively by your parents. But now... You see all these guys who set up companies and did IPO. And they get the news media and the press because they're the wonderkins. They're the people in their 20s who made this billion dollar company or whatever. Everyone loves touting the success of anom- anomalies because they're so outside the norm. Those things are what gets people clicking. That's what gets news attention. Many, many years ago, I'd say sometime relatively recent when we're talking about hundreds, thousands of years, but sometime recent, I would say 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, people didn't expect anyone in their 20s to really be a success. Typically, before the modern era, or even in the modern era, in 70s, 80s, 90s, I'd say, You would leave your schooling and enter some type of apprenticeship under a tutor or a master. This was common in blue-collar trades in Europe, Africa, Asia, and it's still true in many places in the world today. Especially if you're a blue-collar person like you're an electrician or a plumber or uh, a welder, carpenter, you're going to be a journeyman. You're going to be an entry-level worker and you work your way up. But that type of mentorship dynamic isn't too common with the exception of internships. And some of these internships, you don't even learn anything. You just get coffee and you run errands. But generally, you are expected to work your way up, not automatically start at the top. You've just been an adult, like a real adult, for less than a decade. Some of you guys aren't even 21. That just isn't enough time. To really gather the experience and the emotional content that's required for real success. For every Mark Zuckerberg or Brian Chesky or insert young startup founder here. You have like hundreds of thousands of other guys who are broke, who are depressed, who don't have a flying flip of any idea of what they want to do in life. And they feel bad about it. And these people feel bad because they're comparing themselves to these people and using them as a standard for how their life should be. And you comparing yourself to these people and you using your, them as a standard for how your life should be is just setting you up for failure. This mismatched expectations is what steers a lot of people, especially a lot of men, wrong. And many times, having those periods where you can look back and compare where you are and see the steady progression and chain of events leading you to where you are can give you a sense of self-esteem and give you a real appreciation and gratitude for the journey. At least that's how it is for me. I look back several years to where I was, where I am now, and I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, holy crap. You know, I think about the first time when I really pressed on into the work world, in my job i can think back to when i was like 16 being a server serving tables at a at a retirement home and getting paid minimum wage and getting shit on by the management because um they just didn't respect me and also making friends with the people there and trading stories of high school, um, high school reverie and high school um, shenanigans, going to target, lifting boxes and sorting boxes, stocking shelves, getting in at 3.30, at 4, leaving at 12.31, having to do that three, four, five days a week, picking up shifts where people didn't want to pick up shifts and just being hungry for asserting myself and letting people know that I was the hardest damn worker in the room. Getting into the design world and doing the design thing and realizing that wasn't my path, then going on to startup life and getting tutored by some of the people who had actually started companies and been serial entrepreneurs and picking their brains and asking them about it, being the um, newbie there. Then obviously going to e-commerce and then getting more experience there Then starting my consulting practice and doing more work and leveling up in my marketing career and all these things, you know, I can just look back and I just have an appreciation for the journey And I have an appreciation because I can see this steady line of progression of all the jobs that I've had before. And I think back to where I was and then I realize I am where I am now. And I'm just so grateful. I plan on talking more about this type of progression oriented mindset in the next episode. But for now, I'd say don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. The last point about this, I'd say, is your brain isn't even fully formed until you're around 25. I know some of you are probably older than 25. Some people go to college late, and some people go to go into grad school, and um, they don't finish until 26, 27, 28. But most people who go into undergrad... They go into undergrad 17, 18. They finish when they're 21, 22. I went into undergrad when I was 17. I finished when I was 21. So I had about four more years of growth because obviously your brain isn't fully formed until you're around 25. So you don't have full access to all of your neurological capabilities. And until that happens, it's going to be, I'm not going to say difficult, but you're just not going to top out You can't max out on your full productive capacity. And I talked about this on the episode on productivity. So go listen to that if you want more context. But that's about it. My 10 pieces of advice to newly minted college grads from someone on the sunny side of their 20s. I appreciate you listening. I hope this was helpful. And to the class of 2020, I give you my deepest congratulations. So that's it for now. Talk soon and take care. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and listening in. I truly appreciate your support and your attention. It means a lot. If you like this content, go ahead and like the content. Go ahead and share the content with at least two other people you think would benefit doesn't hurt to spread the good stuff around right? and if you're listening in on itunes go ahead and rate the show with a honest rating this will definitely help the show grow and i truly appreciate your feedback so until next time stay good take care of yourself take care of other people and peace